Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, again, I have no comments, but that's okay. I know they're coming. Now, on our last podcast, Deborah and I continued discussing Jim's dinner engagement with Marlo. And we did um, get pretty close to finishing Chapter 9, but we didn't. Sorry about that. So today, we want to continue that discussion. We want to finish Chapter 9 and get a good start on Chapter 10. So my partner in literature is here with me in the studio today. Welcome back, Deborah. Thank you. Also with me in the studio is, as always, is my faithful and saving partner and producer, Gabe. Uh, he can't speak back to you, so, but he says hi. I'll just tell you that right now. All right. So, um, you know, as we've been dis- uh, learning as we're going through this, that, that uh, Conrad is just really an expert at uh, holding our attention and, uh, you know, giving us giving us things to think about and uh, uh, he does a really good job. I, I wanted to um, wanted to open today, if you don't mind, that at the bottom of page 79, if we can, if we can go there, um, this, last time we were talking about him watching the, the, like the, the ongoing comedy of the skipper and the two engineers and, I, and I'm still a little bit confused if there's four of them or if there's three of them because one of them dies. The, the, the one engineer dies of a heart attack. And uh, I don't know if we, we didn't talk about that last time. So, uh, uh, but, but anyway, I, I think what we have to, we have to put that together. We'll, we'll fix, we'll, we'll, we'll go through this today and get it all put together because they, uh, when they, when they, the skipper and they finally jump ship, they think that the uh, the skipper, the, the the engineer that died, they think he went back to his cabin, but he didn't. <laughs> he died. <laughs> so, but um, uh, this is the scene where, where uh, you know, we we had Jim. He was laughing at the comedy of these three guys trying to get this boat down. Remember, the skipper was really fat. The one engineer had a broken arm, and then I think the other one is the one that had the heart attack. And so they're trying to get get off because they just the, the black squall was coming. They believed the ship was sinking. They had to get off the boat. You know, they they had to get out of there. And uh, uh, at bottom page um, uh, seventy four. I mean, excuse me, seventy nine. It says this is talking about Jimmy. See, he could no longer hear the voices under the awnings. And so, so in other words. It got so dark because of the squall. They didn't. They couldn't figure out what's happening on the boat anymore, and they couldn't. I guess there was the sound of the wind and the rain and all that, so they couldn't hear voices. So they're assuming, and and they they couldn't get any view of the horizon, and so they didn't know if the boat was sinking. You know, they did. They they. You know, it's like some of those rides that you're in when you're a kid at a carnival. You know, you get they turn you upside down and all. You don't know where you are. And and so they didn't they didn't know where he, 
that where, he, where they were. He says he could no longer hear the voices under the awnings. He told me that each time he closed his eyes, a flash of thought showed him the crowd of bodies laid out for death as plain as daylight. And so, so again, this is we mentioned it before, his, his imagination. He said uh, when he opened them, it was to see the dim struggle of the four men. Oh, so there was four men mm-hmm. fighting like mad with a stubborn boat. So there were two engineers. There was the third engineer who had the heart attack. And he says they would fall back before it time after time, stand swearing each other, and suddenly make another rush in a bunch. Enough to make you die laughing, <laughs> and so, so uh, I, you know, I think that's an interesting expression because, what are they all afraid of? Mm-hmm. What what are what are the, you know? I don't think Jim is as much afraid of death, but all these guys are afraid of death. So, in, in other words, but but this is what Jim tells Marlowe. He says, he said it, it's enough to make you die laughing. He commented with downcast eyes, then raising them for a moment to my face with a dismal smile, I ought to have a merry life of it, for I shall see the funny sight a good many times yet before I die. His eyes fell again, see and hear, see and hear, repeated twice, at long intervals filled by vacant staring. And so, so uh, again, uh, there's still more more of the story that we need need to get through and uh but he still saw this as very humorous and i'm trying to get get off the boat but but essentially it, it is getting really serious notice that that marlo this is we're on page 80 by the way everyone uh it says uh, he roused himself and uh so so you know as he's telling the story we have to remember he's still so affected by it because the inquiry is still going on and his reputation is being massacred. And so, so you know, he's, he's finally, uh, I, I think he finally has someone that's, that's willing to listen to him and understands. And I think Marlowe does, does understand some of it. He doesn't agree with what he did and he doesn't agree that he was necessarily the best guy, you know, that he thinks he is. So, but notice he says there he roused himself. So, so you know, he, he quit the vacant staring. He said, and he, he goes on then, and, and Marlowe is quoting him. He says, I made up my mind to keep my eyes shut, he said, and I couldn't. I couldn't. I don't care who knows it. Let them go through that kind of thing before they talk. Just let them and do better, that's all. The second time my eyelids flew open and my mouth too, I felt the ship move. She just dipped her bowels and lifted them gently and slow, everlastingly slow and ever so little. She hadn't done that much for days. The cloud had raced ahead, and this first swell seemed to travel on a sea of lead. So so here, all the fear that these men had of this black squall going to be affecting the ship, the first big wave comes through, and it's like lead. It didn't move the ship at all. It raised it a little bit, and it, and it fell a little bit, but... But but notice, I mean, if I would think this is just my own thinking. I've never, well, I've been on. I was on a sailboat one time. Um, my a friend of mine and I, we were. I'm going to slip into something crazy, but there were two girls at college that were really wealthy and had a sailboat, <laughs> and they took us sailing. And we said, "Oh yeah, we can sail. We couldn't sell worth beans. We couldn't get into the dock." So we sailed it to the dock, almost crashed the dock and the sailboat. So, 
Anyway, that's a long story. But anyway, there was no <laughs> there was no life in that stir, it says. It managed, though, to knock over something in my head. What would you have done? You are sure of yourself, aren't, uh, aren't you? What would you do if you felt now, this minute, the house here move? Just move a little under your chair. Leap? By heavens, you would take one spring from where you sit and land in the clump of bushes yonder. And so, so he said, look, I didn't jump at that point. You know, he stayed, he stayed right where he, he was uh, going. He said, look, what would you do? He flung his arms out at the night beyond the stone balustrade. I held my peace. He looked at me very steadily, very severe. There could be no mistake. I was being bullied now. And it behooved me to make no sign, lest by a gesture or a word I could be drawn into a fatal admission about myself, which had have had some bearing on the case. I was not disposed to take any risk of that sort. Don't forget, I had him before me, and really he was too much like one of us not to be dangerous. But if you want to know, I don't mind telling you that I did, with a rapid glance, estimate the distance... <laughs> to the mass of denser blackness in the middle of the grass plot before the veranda. He <laughs> exaggerated. <laughs> I would have landed short by several feet, and that's the only thing of which I am fairly certain. <laughs> that's funny, isn't it? <laughs> so what's he afraid of? <laughs> yes. He's afraid Jim's going to beat the daylights out mm-hmm. of him. Yeah, or, or well, just like and, what he said, if would you jump? You know, you would jump too, right? You know, and so yeah. So he was estimating the jumping. It's funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's funny. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. so he goes on to say, the last moment had come as he thought, and he did not move. His feet remained glued to the planks as his thoughts were knocking about loose in his head. It was at this moment, too, that he saw one of the men around the boat step backwards, suddenly, clutch at the air with raised arms, totter and collapse. He didn't exactly fall. He only slid gently into a sitting posture, all hunched up and with his shoulders propped against the side of the engine room skylight. That was the donkey man a haggard, white-faced chap with a ragged mustache, acted third engineer, he explained. So I think he was, what, pretending to be the third engineer? Is it said acted third engineer? Well, I, I don't know if that if that's what that means. I mean, yeah. why would he pretend? I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, see, that's... I, that's just what he was doing. He yeah, was well, acting I, as, you know... I want to talk to Joseph about okay. this someday. All <laughs> I right. don't know. Yes. <laughs> Did I said we had heard something of that in court? So they say, he pronounced with somber indifference, of course I never knew. Weak heart. The man had been complaining of being out of sorts for some time before. Excitement, overexertion, devil only knows. Ha, ha, ha. It was easy to see he did not want to die either. Droll, isn't it? May I be shot if I hadn't been fooled into killing him myself. Killing himself. Fooled neither nor, nor less, fooled into it by heavens just as I. Ah, if he had only kept still, if he had only told them to go to the devil when they came to rush him out of his bunk because the ship was sinking, if he had only stood but with his hands in his pockets and called them names. He got up, shook his fist, glared at me and sat down. A chance missed, eh? I murmured. Why don't you laugh, he said. A joke hatched in hell. Weak heart, I sometimes... I wish sometimes mine had. Now, uh, Marlo mine, doesn't like. Mine had been, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. had, yeah. Sorry. Oh, had been. Sorry, mm-hmm. I was just trying to skip ahead because Marlo, Marlo was not happy with mm-hmm. him saying that. I wish he had a weak heart. Marlo said, "This irritated me." Do you? I exclaimed with deep-rooted irony. Yes. Can't you understand? He cried. I don't know what more you could wish for. 
I said angrily. He gave me an utterly uncomprehending glance. The shaft had also gone wide of the mark, and he was not the man to bother about stray arrows. Upon my word, he was too unsuspecting. He was not fair game. I was glad that my missile had been thrown away, that he had not ever even heard the twang of the bow. <laughs> so so he, he gives us an extra image there. He said, of course, he could not know at that time the man was dead. The next minute, his last on board was crowded with a tumult of events and sensations which beat him about like the sea upon a rock. I use the simile, simile advisedly because from his relation, I am forced to believe he had preserved through it all a strange illusion of passiveness as though he had not acted but, but had suffered himself to be handled by the infernal powers who had selected him for the victim of their practical joke. <laughs> so now he's talking about about like the angels or, or the spirit world is really... <laughs> yes, it is somehow he, he's not... It's like he wasn't um, responsible for his actions. You know, it's like uh, it's, it's all around him and it was some terrible joke and he, he, you know, it just, it wasn't, basically he was probably saying, nowadays we'd say, it's just not fair. You know, that's, right. that's the way it sounds to me. Right, you exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's where, again, from the last mm-hmm. program, where we talked about, you know, that um, he really wasn't ready for the unexpected. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could see where, I mean, those things do happen. I mean, uh, we even know from the supposed January 6th insurrection, you know, people died. They weren't shot by guns they had heart attacks you know and and uh you know officer i forget what his name is he had a stroke two days later or a day later you know and and you know when you're put under a lot of pressure like that and if you have a weak heart it's gonna it's gonna show so uh it, it reminds me of the you know of um you know the greek myth- mythology with fates you know it's like the fates were controlling controlling him and uh, of course conrad you know, Conrad is into that stuff too. I mean, he he. Uh, if if you remember back to Heart of Darkness, the two knitters, you know, in, at, at the main headquarters, you know, they were like the two fates. So it says. Uh, anyway, it, it goes on to say there. It says the first thing that came to him was the grinding surge of the heavy davit swinging out at last, a jar which seemed to enter his body from the deck through the soles of his feet and travel up his spine to the crown of his head. Then the squall being very near now, another and a heavier swell lifted uh, lifted the passive hull uh, in a threatening heave that checked his breath while his brain and his heart together were pierced as with daggers by panic-stricken stricken screams. Let go, let go, let go, she's going. Follow upon that, the boat falls, ripped through the blocks, and a lot of men began to to talk in startled tones under the awnings. When these beggars did break out, their yelps were enough to wake the dead, he said. Next, after the splashing shock of the boat literally dropped in the water, came the hollow noises of stamping and stumbling in her, mingled with confused shouts. Unhook, unhook, shove, unhook, shove for your life. Here's the squall down on us. He heard uh, 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 high above his head the faint muttering of the wind. He heard below his feet a cry of pain. A lost voice alongside started cursing a swivel hook. The ship began to buzz fore and aft like a disturbed hive, and as quietly as he was telling me all this, because just then he was very quiet in attitude, in face, and in voice, 
He went on to say without the slightest warning as if it were, I stumbled over his legs. So, so it's so dark, he doesn't know who he stumbled over. He thinks it's a dead body. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if it is or not. I think it, was, it prob- wasn't it George, the fellow that had the... Um the heart attack. attack. I'm a, I, I, that's what I'm assuming. Maybe that's maybe. what that was. I don't was. know, but yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Conrad doesn't really tell us. No, yet. he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, so, but anyway, mm-hmm. we, we, like I said, we'll talk to him mm-hmm. sometime in the future. Anyway, so, so anyway, um, you want to go on and talk about the rest of the, with some of this, because um, because the, they the, the men are in the boat now. Right. Yes. They're they're off the ship. And who do they think he is? Well, they they think, yeah, they want. They're telling him to jump. I'm, see, where is that? Okay, yeah. See, where is it? it says jump, jump. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's um, all this is happening. Um, this is page eighty three, by the way. Page eighty three, the top of eighty three. Yeah. It says he shivered a little, little, and I beheld him by slowly as if a steady hand from above had been pulling him out of the chair, because then there was a, there was a suggestion of awful stillness in his face. Right. And then he says, um, they, they shouted. shouted. <laughs> uh, and voluntarily, I pricked up my ears for the ghost of that shout. He said, there were 800 people on that ship, he said, impaling me to the back of my seat with an awful blank stare. 800 living people, and they were yelling after the one dead man to come down. So, in other words, what he's saying is that the people in the boat, in the boat those men, were asking for, one, for this one person to jump. Meanwhile, they weren't caring at all. About the eight hundred people no. in in the in the ship. So they so, wanted George. They just wanted George. They were saying, they were saying, um, they, they were yelling after the one dead man because <laughs> George was dead at this point to come down and be saved. Jump, George, jump! Oh, jump! And it says, I stood by with my hand on the davit. I was very quiet. It had come over pitch dark. You could see neither sky nor sea. I heard the boat alongside go bump bump, and not another sound down there for a while. But the ship under me was full of talking noises. So, in other words, the the um, pilgrims were starting to wake up. They were starting right. to talk. Yeah. Right. And right. suddenly, the skipper howled, "The squall! The squall! Sho- shove off!" With the first hiss of rain, the first gust of wind, they screamed, "Jump, George! Jump! We'll catch you! Jump!" <laughs> so, anyway, it says um, down. You keep on going down. It says, uh, "George, oh, jump!" She was going down, 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 head first under me. Uh, you know, that's where he thought that the ship was going down. Um, mm-hmm. He raised his hand deliberately to his face and made picking motions with his fingers as though he had been bothered with cobwebs. And afterwards, he looked into the open palm for quite half a second before he blurted out. You can say that. <laughs> I had jumped. <laughs> so so now we know that Jim said, I will never clear the ship. The funny thing is, he says, I had jumped. And then he says... It seems. Yeah. It doesn't, it, he never really talks about actually doing it. It's like after the fact. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like, yeah, it's after it, the fact. Because I think, I think in some ways his imagination had got such a grip on him that, you know, if you think about it, if you're, you know, let's put it maybe in a sample example like this. Say you're, you're woken up from sleep. You know, and you're not really wide awake yet. It's like he was dazed. He was like yes. in a dream mm-hmm. state. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, <laughs> you hear someone behind you, jump, jump, hurry, just jump. You're probably going to try and do it. And so, so again, though, uh, again, I think this is where Marlowe has a little bit of a, 
maybe more of a strict interpretation that he just wasn't ready. You know, he, he had all this, he had all this inner glory that he just, you know, fashioned as a child. And from a child up, he's fashioned that he had this, this glory that he had. He was adventurous. He was this. And, uh, you know, he, he obviously has been telling Marlo the whole time he was just, you know, he was just, you know, tied to his imagination. He was really stuck. And then he says, I had jumped. But notice he said he checked himself, averted his gaze, and he said, it seems. Now remember, as he was talking to him just right above there, you know, it's like he was wiping his face, like there was something on his face, mm-hmm. cobwebs. you know, yeah. cobwebs. Mm-hmm. And it's just mm-hmm. like it was hard for him to admit that he had jumped. And he, it even says, he doesn't even say, I jumped. He says, I had jumped. See, it's kind of like, it's like after the fact, he realized what he had done. You see, you know, so it's, yeah, it's, it's like he's talking about another person. Yes, it's interesting because yeah. instead of with the verb, instead of, saying, instead of just saying, I jumped, he said, I had, had jumped. jumped. Yeah. yeah, it seems. Yeah. So then Marla mm-hmm. goes on there. It says, "His clear blue eyes, blue eyes, turned to me with a piteous stare, and looking at him standing before me, dumbfounded and hurt, I was oppressed by a sad sense of resigned wisdom, mingled with an amused and profound pity of an old man helpless uh, before a childish disaster." Looks like it. I muttered. <laughs> he says, "I had jumped," and he says. It <laughs> looks like it. <laughs> yeah, so he said, I knew I knew nothing about it till I looked up, he explained hastily. And that's possible, too. You had to listen to him as you would to a small boy in trouble. He didn't know. It happened somehow. It would never happen again. He had landed partly on somebody and fallen across a, th- across a thwart. He felt as though his ribs on his left side must be broken, then he rolled over and saw vaguely the ship he had deserted uprisingly above him with the red side light glowing large in the rain like a fire on the brow of a hill seemed through a mist. She seemed higher than a wall. She loomed like a cliff over the boat. Wished I could die, he cried. There was no going back. It was as if I had jumped into a well, into an everlasting deep hole. And so... So uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think Marlowe feels kind of bad for him, you know. And so, so but uh, he, you know, he wasn't ready for the unexpected. And then, uh, so was it George that he walked over? Is it? I'm assuming it was. So it was George. Yeah, probably. Then, yeah. 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 So some of that mm-hmm. is is uh, you really have mm-hmm. to kind of read it slowly, you know. And sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we we are in a hurry to read ahead mm-hmm. of time. All right. So we passed chapter nine. Let's uh, let's start chapter ten. It's a I think it's an interesting chapter. Um, uh, it, it begins with he locked his fingers together and tore them apart. Nothing could be more true. He had indeed jumped into an everlasting deep hole. He had tumbled from a height he could never scale again. And so so that's he's talking about his reputation. And so so. They didn't even know who it was. No, they they assumed that George had jumped. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. until they couldn't see who they couldn't. They couldn't see, see who it was. Mm-hmm. It was so dark. Mm-hmm. So it's the next day. Mm-hmm. That's when it gets really bad. All right. So uh, let me just go on. He says, uh, by the time the boat had had gone driving 
uh, forward past the bowels. It was too dark just then for them to see each other, and moreover, they were blinded and half drowned with rain. He told me it was like a being swept by a flood through a cavern. They turned their backs to the squall. The skipper, it seems, got an oar over the stern to keep the boat before it, and for two or three minutes the end of the world had come through a deluge in a pitchy blackness. The sea hissed like 20,000 kettles. That's his simile, not mine. So Marlowe's talking here. I fancy there was not much wind after the first gust, and he himself had admitted at the inquiry that the sea never got up that night to any extent. So, so here's another thing. There was no big squall. There was no big waves. Yeah, they had a lot of rain and it hissed, but they, they didn't have a lot of waves. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And everybody mm-hmm. was so frantic that this right. that the waves were going to sink the ship. Mm-hmm. Says he crouched down on the bowels and stole a furtive glance back. He saw just one yellow gleam of the masthead light and uh, high up and blurred like a last star ready to dissolve. It terrified me to see it there, he said. That's what he said. What terrified him was the thought that the drowning was not over yet. So here they're all thinking that 800 people are drowning. He says, no doubt he wanted to be done with that abomination as quickly as possible. Nobody in the boat made a sound. In the dark, she seemed to fly, but of course, she could not have had much much way. Then the shower swept ahead, and the great distracting hissing noise followed the rain into distance and died out. There was nothing to be heard but the slight wash about the boat sides. Somebody's teeth were chattering violently. A hand touched his back. A faint voice said, You there. Another cried out shakily, She's gone. And they all stood up together to look astern. They saw no lights. All was black. A thin cold drizzle was driving into their faces. The boat lurched slightly. The teeth chattered faster, stopped, and began again. Twice before the man could master his shiver sufficiently to say, Just in time. He recognized the voice of the chief engineer saying surely, I saw her go down. I happened to turn my head. The wind had dropped almost completely. Now, should we tell them or not? Well, the boat, <clears throat> the boat has not gone down. No, but they, they assumed. Me, I mean, they, they really, they didn't see any lights, so they assumed they can't were, see. They can't see. They assumed yeah. it went, but they thought they would have at least seen the lights of the boat. Yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. but, but they, uh, they obviously are further away than they, mm-hmm. they thought. And I think, if I remember correctly, the boat is also moving too. Yeah, I read somewhere, maybe later, where someone had the thought that if it was turned a certain way and they wouldn't have seen the lights. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. okay, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get to that. All right. So um, anyway, it uh, goes on there. It says, They watch in the dark with their heads half turned to windward, as if expecting to hear cries. At first he was thankful the night had covered up the scene before his eyes. And then to know of it and yet to have seen and heard nothing appeared somehow the culminating point of an awful misfortune. Strange, isn't it, he murmured, interrupting himself in this disjointed narrative. So, so then Marlowe comes in there. He said, it did not seem strange to me. He must have had an unconscious conviction that the reality could not be half as bad, not half as anguishing, appalling, and vengeful as the created terror of his imagination. And so, so there, there I think uh, Marlowe is telling us that, that uh, you know, his imagination was so vivid, it, it did terrify him. 
I believe that in the first moment his heart was wrung with all the suffering that a soul knew the accumulated savor of all the fear, all the horror, all the despair of 800 human beings pounced upon in the night by a sudden and violent death. Else, why should he have said, it seemed to me that I must jump out of that accursed boat and swim back to sea half a mile more any distance to the very spot. Why this impulse? Do you see the significance? Why back to the very spot? Why not drown alongside if he meant drowning? Why back to the very spot to see if, uh, if as if his imagination had to be soothed by the assurance that all was over before death could bring relief? I defy any one of you to offer another explanation. So, so if when you're reading this, uh, all the readers out there, what you have to realize is he's now talking. This is Marlowe is now talking to his friends on the veranda, and so so simply, it's essentially what he's doing. He's really defending Jim, you know, because he really wanted to jump out of the boat and go back to where the the Patna was and. I think he wanted to see if he could save anybody. Or at least he went, it's kind of like, you know how you want closure? Closure. I can see yeah. that kind of like closure to see, okay, they really are gone, you know. So, right. you know, because he had the the pain in his mind was so great that he, it's like he needed to have it, you know, ended somehow. All yeah. right. Well, guess what? That's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, Deborah and I will continue to discuss Jim's experience on the lifeboat. I mean, uh, at this point, everybody out there, they don't realize who they have on the boat with them. So you can buy Lord Jim at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You may also be able to find a copy in your local bookstore. And, of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliteratureone one You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So, until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.